0: Thursday. Yes, it is a new episode of the Two Shot Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and downloading, you know how much it means. Um apologies, actually, while I'm recording this and also probably the main body of this. Um if this is sounding slightly echoey Yeah, you know, it is a bit, in it. So I'm just in Brighton for the last two weeks of filming and I'm having to do all my recording from the apartment that I'm in. So yeah, apologies if uh, sonically it's not as comforting as it normally is. Now, yeah, speaking of finishing the last two weeks of work, um, after that, that frees myself and producer Griff up to go and meet actual people in the same room, not connected on a computer and record some face-to-face episodes, which is which, you know is what we're going to do. I'm very excited about it. So we're going to fit in a few of those uh, and that should take you over the festive period. Um, but how are you? Are you keeping well? Are you keeping warm as the nights start to, to creep into our afternoon and everything's getting a little bit chilly? Christmas lights are going up everywhere. I don't know if I'm ready for all that right now in November. Just hold back um, yeah, uh, everything is all good here um, massive thank you to everybody for what inc- what an incredible reaction to last week's episode with the wonderful Mark Bonner, he was great wasn't he, I loved that episode so much um, so thanks for all your messages and your feedback from that um, and now this week now there's lots of good telly around there's lots of fine telly there's lots of mediocre telly that for some reason um, gets a lot of fanfare and people are doing cartwheels and it's kind of alright it's, it's it's fine it's it's inoffensive and then occasionally there's exceptional television that people should be shouting about but but maybe they're not as much as they should one of those shows that in my mind is exceptional is the BBC two drama in my skin. Now it's writer and creator. Katie Llewellyn is my guest this week. And I've been a big fan of hers ever since I saw the pilot for in my skin. Um, So I did say awesome homework on uh, Twitter yesterday. It's to try and watch series one and series two. It's, it's not, there's not loads of episodes and, uh, you, it is, it's, it's complete. It's not going to leave you hanging. Um, if you haven't seen it, then that's okay. You can watch, you can watch, you can listen to this episode with me and Kaylee discussing it. Um, there's, I try not to give any spoilers. Um, but trust me, that I don't think there is. It'd be fine. Don't worry. Um, now this is a bit of a first, um, the reason why especially at the start I'm sounding quite giddy and I did try not to gush too much to Kaylee um about 20 minutes before we met and hit record I just finished watching the last episode of season 2 um I was working, then I had time, I went to the gym, and I was on the treadmill at the end, watched an episode there, came back to the apartment, watched one, we were supposed to book in for two. I said, I'm just about to watch the last episode, can we just push it? So we pushed it a little bit more, and I watched uh, the final episode, and then we got straight online and got into this conversation. So just so you're aware, um, yeah, I am a bit... uh, Gushy with the praise of the show one because quite right. It deserves it. People should be doing cartwheels about this show because it's fucking incredible. Um, I think it's no perfect. I really do. The performances are exceptional. Joe Hart is great. They're all fantastic, but it's anchored by a mature and sensitive and layered performance. Um, by the wonderful um, Gabrielle Creevey. Um, I really, really want you to go and watch the show. But before you do that, why don't we pop your feet up, grab a drink, do whatever you're doing, right? Just stop and let's get into it. This is the Two Shot Podcast with the wonderful Kaylee Llewellyn. And I shall see you at the end. No, it's, I'm not, it's not that I'm slagging it off it's only because I'm from Blackpool. So Um, I think I, I, well, I don't think, I know. I have like an aversion to seaside towns and faded grandeur and forced jollity, which I think is what sort of seaside towns provide.
1: And in the non-summer months in Britain, which is 10 months of the year, they are a bit depressing, aren't they?
0: Well, it's, it's, all you see everywhere, even if you don't see them, I just see no vacancies. Everything's like, oh, it's all a bit bleak. It's like, yeah. it's uh, the pier. So the pier on top of the pier is light and it's glamour and it's bells and whistles and it's, and then underneath the pier is, oh. the, is the darkness. Is the what, bleak. what a
1: visual as well that you can I see know. them side by side. It's,
0: uh, that's the thing. I just, that's. But I think that's just me just growing up. Whenever I go home now sort of to see my parents um, and I drive through and I was going to take my little boy to see the Illuminations the other week and my dad just went, don't bother, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> and I haven't heard him say that for years, so for him to say that, I just thought, no. And I said to my boy, I said... Do you want to go? And he went, no, it's just lights and it's fine. I went, yeah, it is kind of fine. We'll go and get some chips. It is just lights. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: We'll look at a street lamp instead.
0: Yeah, for a while until you close your eyes and all you can see is, is the light behind your eyes. That'll do, won't it? That's, Lovely. That's, that's good parenting, surely, <laughs> right? Um, well, I don't really know what to say. This isn't um, the type of podcast where I get people on and wax lyrical about their work. But saying that, um, this is what I'm um, the only occasion over the years that I've been doing this, that I've up until like 20 minutes ago. I've just finished watching somebody's show that I'm going to talk to them, not necessarily about, but I think I'm going to have to talk about it because, and I don't want to embarrass you in any way. Um, I think it's one of the most perfect pieces of television I've ever seen.
1: Really? No, um, wow. oh, I mean
0: you, I, I mean, it, it, it broke me so much on a what day is it tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. yeah I, that's no it but it filled me with so much hope and i think there's an overall arc of season 2 which is hope from everybody's character um but i was you know i was in tears one minute and smiling the next but also and this i think this is a testament to great television is Actually, talking to the television when uh, when you go, oh, no, 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 don't do that. No, you've got to tell her. You've got to be honest with her this time. Because and what what a beautiful, honest depiction of of true love,
1: mm, or, thank or
0: or you. certainly first love, and uh, also how I feel teenagers talk, not how. Um, a group of possibly uh, posh white middle class men believe that um certain working class kids talk cuz that type of conversation that that I hear in in the show and not just for season 2 but I'm going all the way back to the pilot um is what I hear on buses
1: mm-hmm. wherever
0: I am I mean I used to live in Camden I used to hear these conversations all the time you know I've just I've been in I've been filming in Cardiff of late um, yeah, I hear these conversations. And, you know, they always say, write what you know. They say, write mm-hmm. what you know. So we probably need to go back and talk about how much of this is your story and how much of Bethan is, is you or, or certainly a version of you.
1: Mm. A lot, I would say. Um, Sorry, that was
0: quite a lot, wasn't it? To just sort of <laughs> gush uh, a big tidal wave of praise at start. I, I, I never do that, as I'm sure you know.
1: I think um, once, like, in a couple of months' time, when this show coming out wears off and people aren't talking about it anymore, I think I'm going to be like, hang on, where's all my compliments?
0: Yeah, don't get used to it. No, <laughs> I wouldn't get used to
1: it. I've gotten used to getting compliments over the last week and I don't want to let it go. Um, it's heavily autobiographical. So there's there's so much truth in there. And as they say, truth is often stranger than fiction. So why not just tell the truth in this instance anyway? But I think because the process of this show was split up, we made the pilot um, in isolation, waited for that to air on screen. Then we got the green light for four more episodes. So we came back and did that. And then we had another break because of the pandemic and everything. We sort of like... 18 months before we came to do series two. So all that to say, like, in that time, I got to know the cast very well, particularly Gabby Creevy, who plays um, Bethan, and Joe Hartley, who plays Trina, Aled, who plays Priest. So so by series two, I can say so much of Bethan is me, but she also belongs to Gabby because I began writing her with Gabby in mind and hearing Gabby's voice and just knowing Gabby, you know, in, intimately as a person. and um, It's really interesting. Same goes for Joe on set. Like, I, I know these characters inside out and I can tell you with absolute authority, this is what Bethan will do next. But there's a few times, only a couple of times on set, but where Gabby would go, this line isn't right. And it, every time was a line that I'd stumbled over. Right. I'd, I'd rewritten eight, yeah. nine times. And then she'd go, no, no, I think that's it. And Gabby would smell it from a mile off and go, those aren't Bethan's words. Mm. And I'd go, what do you think? And she'd tell me, and I'd go, yes. She's yours as well, you know. You know her too. So, so she's a bit of me, and she's a bit of Gabby.
0: I mean, we do have to talk about Gabrielle Creavy's performance because it is astonishing. I think it's astonishing mm-hmm. for... Uh, and not only to go. Oh well, she's a young actress, just for an actress or an actor. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking layered, and it's it's immense. It's an, it's a power. It's a, it's a powerhouse performance. It's as good as I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, she's really something. And mm. we when we shot the pilot, she was still she was just finishing up at drama school. So we shot the pilot, and then as we wrapped, she ran off back to London to go to her graduations. You know, she's like. She hasn't got that many, at that point, she hadn't been on set that much. She was still new to it, but it's one of those, I don't know, you see some performers and you just go, you were born with that. That's not to take away, though, from the work she's put in because her ownership of her skill now, like, she's just, she's really A-class and just the way she conducts herself, you know, she's so professional, she's so humble, she works so hard, but she's got something you can't teach. It's in the eyes. And I've said this before in interviews, but it's because it's true. Like, so often on set, I just want to strip dialogue away because I'm like, her eyes are already saying it.
0: Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I'm big, big fan of that. We don't need to yeah. say this. Is, no. It, that's, that's not oh it's it's overwritten, we don't need that we don't need that we can do this in a way that'll just push the story on
1: mm, with a with a look,
0: oh God yeah yeah absolutely
1: she's she's something else, and I think it's just constantly you know this is a small b b c three show micro budget, no p r machine behind it, and i'm just constantly banging my drum to the b b c to be indiscreet, going she's an a lister oh. she she is going to be huge.
0: Without a shadow of a doubt, but this show is an A list show. If this show was on at nine o'clock on BBC One in you know some sort of Jimmy McGovern slot, it it, it would not be out of place. It's it's Thank as you. it's as great as it could be, and I'm not anybody listening to this knows that I'm certainly not one for blowing smoke or bullshit whatsoever. <laughs> and it's, and I'm, I am still quite on a high of just finished watching it. But what I love, and not saying that I enjoyed season two more, but I felt that, as, I'm, as possibly what you were saying before, you, you knew these characters inside and out more with season two. But the, the, some of the laughs were taken away from mm. from certainly early on in, in the pilot stage. And the arc of this was, of course, it, there was light moments and it was funny, but it's pure drama. Mm. It's 100% drama. And talk to me about the writing process because about putting yourself on the page and certainly your story has to be... One of the most nerve-wracking things ever. I mean, writing anyway is nerve-wracking because you're pu- you're showing somebody your your work, whether it be personal or not. But this is personal to you, so can we talk about the origins of how this came about?
1: Yeah, so it was kind of late 2017, and I just had this project that I was um, developing in LA. One of those ones that's like, it's definitely going to go. It's going to go. It's going to go.
0: Oh, those ones. Those definitely ones, yeah. Sending
1: over the like contracts and what the money's going to be. And obviously, if you've only worked on casualty, as I had at that point in the UK, getting paid pittance, seeing American money written down in emails, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. What am I going to do? Like, I guess I'm a millionaire. It's not. It doesn't make you a millionaire, but it feels like that when you see it, you know. So... I was just getting carried away on all of that. And then um, flew home from LA back to my flat in Leyton, just thinking, well, I'll just wait for the phone to ring then because this is all about to kick off. And then all I got was an email going, oh, they've changed their mind, it's fallen through. And I was just like, no. No, because of my dreams, my daydreams.
0: <laughs> and my plans. What, i already yeah. spent that little bit of money.
1: You can't take that away. Um, so I was just... Gutted, and then as I, I this has gotten me through this career, I think because it took me sort of quite a few years of writing before I got anywhere. Just always like rolling stone gathers no moss. Don't don't sit for too long. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? So I I gave myself a couple of days to feel shit, and then I'd two things happen at once. I'd sort of just I do improv comedy on the, on the side of writing. And I'd just done this like week-long course with this incredible American improv teacher and performer called Holly Laurent. Um, So I was fresh from that. And she'd said in that week, the thing you think you need to hide deepest is probably the key to your creativity. And it had really landed with me because I had spent my youth lying and hiding who I was. Um, And so I sort of had that ringing in my ears and I kind of just, before I could overthink it, thought fuck it and I sat down and I wrote this like almost like a diary entry I suppose one pager just going when I was a teenager in Wales my mum had bipolar my dad was a abusive addict ex hells Angel this is what my life was like I was I was living a lie I was telling loads of lies at school etc 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 this is my truth final few lines I think it could be a tv show and I quickly sent it off to a few producers that I knew and liked. I think like seven of them immediately felt sick. Because even though at this point in my life, I was, I was being much more honest. I wasn't living like I was as a teenager. I would st- my friends knew about my mum and my dad. And, um, you know, I wasn't lying in that way anymore. But I certainly wasn't in work circles advertising it. Because mm. I just thought like, look, you've clawed your way out of the benefit class you've (laughs) on your hands and knees you've clawed your way into the middle classes in london don't let them know that you're really just a grubby little piece of shit
0: yeah oh no 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 keep
1: that quiet act like you know about the same stuff (laughs) act like you tasted hummus before you know (laughs) 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 so just sort of like being that sort of person so i sent this email off and then i just felt sick and was like You've said too much. Just even if, even aside from the fact of making yourself vulnerable by revealing those things, people will think it's weird that this person they barely know is just like spewed all this stuff up. They'll just, but who, why, she must be having a bit of a breakdown. Why she sent this weird email. So just felt awful about it. And then really quickly, all seven of the producers came back and six of them were like, I love this. I want to meet you. And one of them was like, I love this, but our slate is full, but oh my God, I love it. And I'd never had a reaction like that. Wow. You know, normally it was like, send the emails and don't hear anything. And that's it, just silence. So instantly I was like, oh, something different is here. Met all of them. They all wanted it. Again, very new to me. But I decided to go with Neris Evans, who uh, went on to become the exec because she was like, She's working-class Newport gal, and she didn't want to change it.
0: No, and also, yeah, exactly, because it was going to be obviously quite an intimate production, and she's got such a fantastic track record, mm. and you need somebody that's going to steer and care and, and also not change it. That's mm. another thing, just going back to your writing. It never, and certainly the 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 kids talking. It doesn't sound like it's a committee. It's a it's it's a singular voice that hasn't Mm. been tinkered with.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I could have gone with any of those producers. They were all wonderful, and they all I could feel they just wanted the best for the story. But because you know it's it's the nature of the job, they start going. We could try this. And have you thought about that? And. And I'm, you know, I should say I, I am a very collaborative writer and I believe in the notes process and being humble. So, so I'm not the sort of person who's like my way or the highway. But there was something about Neris just looking me in the eyes and going, it's your truth. Let's just tell your story how you want to tell it. Let's get going. That just spoke to me because I was like, this woman's going to, mm. she's going to walk with me and not try and direct me.
0: Exactly, but there is such a difference with being open and uh, accepting notes of support. Uh, um, Actually, we think what would be great here is if you shifted this to that. Well, no, because that goes against Mm
1: -hmm. all all,
0: all, all my truth and all my principles. You're just doing this for something else. And we, you know, we work, you know, certainly we work with them. We see that on screen all the time. You go on that doesn't work at all that's obviously a a committee or or some sort of channel has has said i think we need to steer it in this direction
1: yeah it just dilutes it ultimately
0: absolutely absolutely you get
1: a cup of squash instead of a cup of freshly squeezed orange juice
0: Mm -hmm. i just
1: made that up on the spot but i think it's true
0: are you a writer this is is, is, (laughs) is good this is good shit yeah yeah and so then the once you got neris on board what was the next step because obviously she's uh she's in she's am I right in saying she's independent?
1: She's at an expectation and Right, okay,
0: right. So, so so they were gonna take it on board?
1: Yeah. And so she went straight out she'd been working with Shane Allen back at Channel Four when she was a comedy commissioner with him. He was then head of comedy at BBC, but you know, in TV it works well to have those friendships. Yeah. So Neris was able to just go for breakfast with Shane the next week and just pitch him over breakfast. At this point, it's still just a a one-pager, you know. Um, And Shane, to his credit, just went, yeah, we'll give you some money, go and write it. So um, wrote it very quickly. Initially, we took it out to BBC Wales because they were going to do this, in conjunction with Shane at um, BBC Three and BBC Comedy, but he was like, look, they're doing this big drive. They're going to make a handful of Welsh comedies next year, pilots. So let's take it through that route. It's like a competition you've got to enter. So we entered it into this BBC Wales scheme and um, didn't even get long-listed. They just were like, no thanks, put us straight in the bin. Wow. So (laughs) Shane was like, fuck them, doesn't matter, we'll still make it anyway. And they were going to do this... um, Have you heard of comedy slices? Yes. I think they've... You know, there's always a new scheme, isn't there? There's like a blaps. There's always
0: a a blaps. yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: a blaps or a slice or whatever. So... Shane said, look, let's do it in the pilot comedy slice scheme. And I initially, you know, even though I, I didn't really have a, pasta, a pot to piss in at the time and certainly didn't have any uh, reputation behind me to kind of throw my weight around or anything, but I just took pause with Naris and said, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, but this isn't in between us. And so if we're going to be pitched as um, a comedy slice... I don't want them trying to shoehorn us into banana peel slips. And I promise you there'll be laughs, but I also promise you there's going to be a man trying to drive his wife off a cliff. Yeah. So, you know, if if we have to compromise the darkness in favor of um, doing slapstick stuff, I'd rather we pass it pass it over. And Neris, you know, thank God she'd been a commissioner herself because from the inside, she was able to just say to me, just make it fucking brilliant and they will find the slot for it. If we lead, they will follow. So we'll take the commission and we'll make sure they listen. So, OK, cool. So this this heavy, dark piece about mental health and domestic violence was commissioned by BBC Comedy. Um, thank God, to their credit, you know, and, and neris was, was right. They did follow us and, and not meddle and all hats off to BBC Three for that. And then Shane took it back to BBC Wales and said, "Want to put some money in there?"
0: <laughs> and and I bet went, they did.
1: Yeah, they went, oh, Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's how it got made, and it, it came out in the in the Slices Strand, and then they took it to series.
0: Yeah, no, I remember watching it in the Slices Strand, and I was yeah, big believer, and I knew that it would it would run, and and look, people are going to watch it, and I'm going to talk about. Um, it 's prior to, on the introduction to this, so but I am trying to uh i don't want to give too many spoilers away um because it 's a lovely journey, and I think it is it it feels to me like a complete journey
1: mm. yeah it's the end um, just yeah.
0: two series and done yeah yeah and I, and I think not only is that um extremely graceful and elegant it's also f- keeping in the the belief of the show which is true it's 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 truth and mm-hmm. that's where it should end i mean they could try oh i think we can do one more and she's gone to goldsmiths and there's a new adventure yeah i'm sure there is again to quote you this ain't the in between us it ain't gonna happen like that mm-hmm. but it's so interesting that your initial one page pitch is pretty much that end scene on the bus isn't it yeah yeah
1: I had that final scene in my head before anything else, really. You know, we were working backwards. I knew I knew where we were going. Uh, and that's partly why it, it was too serious and done. Because, you know, I could have stretched. It's only 10 episodes as it is. I could have stretched it out a little bit longer and still ended on that scene. But when you're a new writer... I'm not a Russell T. Davis. I'm not a Sally Wayne. Right? You know, maybe now after in my skin, I've got a bit more kind of leeway. But back then, like, we begged, borrowed and stealed to make this show. And mm. even it was never guaranteed. Like, even going from the pilot to the series, BBC Wales weren't sure they wanted to put the money in. And they ummed and ahed and they ummed and ahed. And BBC Three could put some money in, but it was only enough for like four 15-minute episodes. And I was like, that's not it. If if it's that, then we can't make it because I won't bastardize this story like that. There are different formats. Like I think sketch works really well in those short forms, but not this. Um, You know, BBC Wales really left us hanging right up to the wire until eventually they went, okay, we will top up the money, but you're only going to get four reps because we have been hoping to get five. So we'd have a six part first series. So we did that. And then going into series two, again, they were like, we're not sure. BBC Three wanted to make six episodes. They were going to up their money quite significantly, but COVID hit all the extra insurance costs, and BBC Wales just sat on it. They were like, "Don't know. There's other shows we're 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 more interested in making." And months and months and months, it, it, I kept getting these phone calls going. It might not happen. This might not happen. I and mean, so,
0: how frustrating for you was that? Because it sounds to me, in some respects. Uh, you're you're so supported, and in other ways, you're kind of a bit sort of just left out at sea.
1: Mm. It's the blessing and the curse of being a low-budget show, which no one has any expectations of. Because on one hand, artistically, you get utterly left alone, and no one's meddled with it. Because it's, yeah. it's cheap. They found yes. the money down the back of the sofa, so you can just play. But on the flip side, then when it goes to the point where you're sort, it feels like you're going. I think we're making something important. Please. Please see what we're trying to do and please respect it. So it was it was a slog and we didn't know if it was going to happen. And so in my head, I was like, I've got to finish this story. I can't do this again for a third series. Because if I get halfway through the story and this does really get taken away from me after series two and I never get to finish it, I'll be devastated. So let's bring this home. So we'd originally be told series two was going to be six episodes many, 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 many months in BBC Wales finally came through with a tiny bit of cash, but they weren't up for paying for six. So I had to condense it into five and we've got what we've got and we got across the line and it was, I've got to say it was painful because we'd won, stop airing all my dirty laundry now, but we'd won, for series one, we'd won four BAFTA Cymru Awards and Best Drama for the RTS. And Mm. I was like, really, you don't want to pay for one more app? Really?
0: I mean, what do we need to do to to show you? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was just it was it felt like a bit of a kick in the face particularly because I was across the other shows they were giving double commission double series commissions to in some instance. I know Russell T Davis took it upon himself to write to the controller of BBC Wales and went don't lose this show. Wow. They, you ha- you have to make the show and they were just like I know but we've got other things we're prioritizing. So it was just like come on come on please. But you know, all that said, we got there. We got our five episodes. And, and so that was a long-winded way of saying I was bringing it home in two series because I was like, some fucker's not going to take this off me. <laughs> You're not taking this off me. I'm going to finish this story.
0: Yeah, and you did, you did with such elegance. And also, at the end of the day, quality will out. Mm-hmm. It really, really will. I'm a big believer in that. I always have been. Do you think that if you'd have had a larger commission, and let's say it had been on, let's say, BBC Two, you would have had many more people poking their nose in, and it wouldn't have been the... uh, You wouldn't have been left alone, basically, would you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think with hindsight, I wouldn't change a thing, which after me just... Complaining for the last ten minutes sounds like a contra- I'm contradicting
0: myself. But- no, 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 but I don't think it is complaining, Kelly. I think it's just letting people know about the struggles of how hard it is even to make a a, a low budget television show. Because mm. it, it's not straightforward. And there'll be yeah. so many people now going, Oh well, I remember when I saw that, or I was a I was a big believer in this show. Well, I'm you know, yeah. Well yeah. Put you, you I wish you'd have put your money where your mouth is then,
1: Yeah, just popped your hand in your pocket would have been yeah. lovely. <laughs> Absolutely that. I mean, I, I, could, I could say that I would have loved to have six episodes for the second series because the story was there. As it is, episode five is now 45 minutes long. Yeah. Which essentially is just 15 minutes of free content for them because it was meant to be half an hour. But just, you know, we had to... There was so much content we had to squeeze in. Mm. And I would have loved a little bit more breathing space. But that aside, the fact that my first ever original project, it was this personal story, that I got to make it with Nerys, who's become one of my best friends. Uh, The two directors, Lucy from Series 1 and Molly Manners from Series 2, and our cast are just who I adore. And we've just become this tight-knit family who are left to do our
0: art. But you can tell, you can tell that and you say that you you would have loved a bit more time or, you know, possibly another episode. But from an audience point of view, I'm pointing at myself, people (laughs) who are listening, um, there wasn't a wasted moment in that last episode. That's why, because just for anybody listening, uh, myself and Kelly were supposed to start this way about... For half an hour, forty minutes before, and I had to email it and say, "Look, I'm I'm just about to watch the last episode, and I can't do it. I need to watch it before we talk." Um, no, there wasn't a wasted moment, and I felt everything was was wrapped up in the way it started, like back in the pilot. Uh, there was nothing trite or saccharine about it. Um, it didn't. It didn't need to pander to its audience. It the the tonally, it was. It was on the money for me. I I'm really so glad think, to hear that. Oh, it was just, it was beautiful. And again, that that uh, that overriding sense of hope from from season two for everybody. And uh, having uh, the little moments of having Perry and his daughter in were just beautiful. They were so lovely because then we've got we've got hope for her mum. And the the relationship with her and Cam was, I mean, I was in floods of tears.
1: They're incredible, aren't they? Oh, my God. Rebecca Murrell plays Cam, and she's like, not really not, this was her first big TV thing. She's been doing theatre before that, and she directs theatre as well. She's like a triple threat, but the chemistry between her and Gabby...
0: It just burns. Yeah. It burned through my laptop. It was, <laughs> it, it was good. I'm, I'm starting to get slightly emotional just talking about it now. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It was just so special. brilliant. I think we should just stop talking about this show because I'm going to carry on for hours if we do, and I'll probably bore you, um, or certainly the listeners. But what I want to do is talk about something more important, which is you. And let's talk about how you got out. How did you? Leave Wales, because uh, what I don't want to do is go right back and talk about anything about your childhood, really, because I think we've already alluded to the fact that this show is pretty much your childhood. So mm-hmm. I think that's more reason for people who haven't seen this, and I want them to go to it and watch it and tell everybody, yeah. which which they bloody will, because I will tell them too, and it's dead good. Um But... You didn't go. You didn't go to Goldsmiths, did you? I did. Oh, yeah, you yeah. did. So that is yeah. correct. So that's yeah. that's my research wrong. Um,
1: I, I went to Goldsmiths, but it's probably not really written about anywhere because I fucking hated it.
0: Oh, tell me why you hated it.
1: Because I come from. I took a well. First of all, it's like like where we vary from the show. I had to take a couple of gap years because there's just no way. Like I just didn't have any. I just didn't have any money. Um, so I couldn't do anything, and I just wasn't sure. sort of growing up feeling like uh, maybe I've got a bit of potential maybe I'm maybe I'm going to be the one who breaks out because I'm from this massive family in Cardiff like my mum's one of six uh children and then all those children had a load of kids so my nan had like 34 my nan had six kids 34 grandkids something like a further 18 great-grandkids and by the time she died, she had a couple of great great grandkids.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. And that's that. just on my
1: mum's side. My dad was one of six as well. So, this sprawling family in Cardiff, just like you can't chuck a stone without hitting a Mogford or a Llewellyn <laughs> in, in Cardiff. Um, but none of them had ever been to uni before. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one who breaks out. And then when it came to it, I just was so, I felt so disillusioned and probably in hindsight, a bit depressed. And I I just didn't, uh, and and having maybe some like crisis of confidence and feeling like maybe I'm not all I thought I was going to be. I'm not all I'm cracked up to be kind of thing. Mm. Not that I was cracked up to be much. I was just a girl from a comp. But, you know, I'd had this inner belief my whole life that I could make something of myself. And I think it began to waver. So I took a couple of gap years and just like, worked in a call centre, and then eventually just had this feeling of, like, London's where it's at. My mum had brought me here on a coach trip. I think she'd, like, collected coupons from the newspaper or something when I was young, and we went on a coach trip to see the Trooping of the Colour. Right. At Buckingham Palace, me and my mum, my sister, and my auntie and my cousin, and I remember getting off that coach and feeling that, like, soul crackle. Of this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And there was like, this sounds crazy, but I only saw white people growing up. is yeah. uh, like a very multicultural city now in many ways, but the school I was in and where I was, there was only white faces and it was all the same accent. Oh, I, get- had,
0: I had that growing up in Blackpool.
1: Yeah, it's so insular.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I moved down to London, when I was just on the cusp of turning 18 could not believe it! Look at all yeah. this. It's all this culture and diversity. I'd never. It's just. It's not there. It's not what I grew up with at uh-huh. all.
1: It's just like fireworks, isn't it? Mm. Felt like someone had. I'd been living in black and white, and someone had turned the colour TV on. Do you know what I mean? Like that bit in um Wizard of Oz, oh, and, he, and hearing the accents and the languages. My mum said that I was walking around like. Wide-eyed at people and trying, I was hearing them say stuff and like repeating it back to them in their American (laughs) or Cockney, just like blown away by it all. And so from that moment in my head, I've been like London, London, London. So I wound up applying to Goldsmiths just because I think I didn't give a a shit really about the uni or the course. I just knew it was in London, and I knew because my parents were poor, I could get a load of bursaries, and it would bring me here because I couldn't have come you know, on my own theme. I couldn't have just moved to London. So no. I had nothing to fall back on.
0: So was it but, more about escaping than anything else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care about the course. And so I moved to London, go to this uni, and I hated it because I think it's, when you come, not just working class, but benefit class, and you get dropped into London, where like, I think Princess Beatrice was at Goldsmiths at the same time as me. Right. And it was all these 18-year-old middle-class kids, and I was 20, and I was... You know, hardened by life. I'd lived a few lives, yeah. And I arrived, and just like there was no connecting tissue, I felt like between our experiences. And I think it takes a while to assimilate into middle classness, like even just hugging people when you see them. Mm. That took me years to get used to.
0: Oh yeah, no, we don't show affection. What are you talking no. about? Especially n- northern men certainly don't hug or show affection or tell tell them that they're loved or anything like that. I'm not, sorry, not I'm not, that all. sounds like I'm casting aspersions to my dad. My dad's a very loving Northern man. <laughs> but I mean, sort of as friends, you know?
1: Yeah, it's just not what you do. We're not like, I don't know, we just don't act in that way. Even now, I was home on the weekend. Where I haven't seen my family in like a year and a half. And my girlfriend was commenting, because she's like, it's so funny that your family like walk into the room and see you then they just go, are I okay? <laughs> <laughs> there's no hug, there's no like... <laughs> So what's been going on, Tommy? It's just, it's not what we do. No. And so I got here just like fish out of water and to be honest, probably felt quite like, um, I, was looking, I was looking down my nose on them, if you can
0: imagine. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah.
1: just thought you're all pampered little idiots and look at all the mum and, mummy and daddy's money's got you.
0: Mm. Don't mm. have
1: to work. You got your own car, whatever. So I was just there feeling a bit sort of like, bitter probably. And I just got a job really quickly working um, front of house at the London Palladium, which I loved. So I did, the whole time I was at uni, I did these two jobs. I'd work at the London Palladium at night and on the Sound of Music, being an right. usher. And by day, I was working on Leicester Square in this like cut price ticket booth, selling theatre tickets by oh, day. Oh, the,
0: the one right in the middle?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I did work there for a stint, but that wasn't the original one. There was a few other. There's one on Piccadilly Circus I used to be in.
0: Oh, I remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I was making money because in my head, I was like, what I really want to do is go to drama school.
0: Which is what I was going to move on to. Yeah. So was this been a sort of a burning ambition for a while or something that you sort of buried?
1: It was a burning ambition from day dot, which in hindsight, I realised acting wasn't the thing that I loved. I just didn't know that writing was a job. Do you know what I mean? Mm, I didn't know anyone in the media, but I could watch Mm. French and Saunders, Victoria Wood. My mum said I used to sit with my nose to the screen and just be like, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's the thing. And so I wanted to be an an actress, but you can't get a bursary for drama school. So my my first bursary got me to London and then my three years at uni, I worked two jobs and could save all the money because the uni money was paying for rent and that. So by the time I came out of uni with like barely, to to even reveal this, I paid my best friend. um, He was doing a history and politics degree at Warwick. And I just said, if I like give you 200 pounds, can I just have your dissertation and I'll put my name on it? And he was like, but it's a history and politics. You're not doing that. You're doing (laughs) drama and theatre studies at Goldsmith. I was like, I'll just try it. And so I did, I handed it in and, and the notes back were like, this is a fantastic dissertation, we just can't understand why you didn't link it to drama. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> but they accepted it. They didn't go What? They just accepted it. So I got I got a two-two. The fuck
0: Such Jesus and...
1: I'm sort of partly humiliated, but also partly going, yeah, it's, it's a mockery. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a ridiculous system.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it has made a mockery of this system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about it. But if it, if it goes, uh, if it helps at all, the degree's never gotten me a thing in my life. And I got me about 28 grand's worth of debt. So I haven't, I haven't coasted off of my fake degree. Um, but yeah, by the end of uni, I had this like 2 2 on a degree that I'd never use again but I'd saved 12 grand. Right. So I put myself into drama school with, with that money.
0: And where did, where did you go?
1: I went to Drama Studio London in Ealing Broadway, just a year course. Loved it, like best year of my life. And just as, as much as I realise now I didn't want to be an actor, I think I'm an infinitely better writer. Because, because of it? Yeah, yeah. I know I know about dialogue and I love actors and I love collaborating with actors you know Mm. they're my best friends instead of the like some people call them um have you heard of like snooty writers being like oh the meat puppets
0: oh the shit i've heard over the years I, i you know i was talking to a friend of mine the other day i said i once caught um a producer and a writer at the tail end of a conversation they didn't know i was behind them and they went yeah but don't tell the kids and then oh, they, saw me, they, saw, they saw me and went, oh, crap. I went, I said, I heard you. I heard yeah. you. No, 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 we didn't mean that. I went, yeah, you fucking did. Yeah, I know you it. did. It's, fi- it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Totally fine. Don't worry. You know, I, I've, I've got your number now.
1: It's the fine. lack of respect. And, like, similarly, I've worked with actors who don't respect any other departments as well, and that's equally as frustrating. Absolutely. The point of TV is... Every department is nothing without the next. Yes, yes. You have to have respect. And of the artistry that goes into acting and the fact that you do not have a show without those actors. Or if you cast the wrong person, your show can live or die. Like, Mm -hmm. it just, it drives me nuts. And I think it's so patronising and rude and short-sighted. And yeah, I hate it. Anyway, so drama school's got got me that, you know. I fucking adore actors. And hopefully my shows are better because you can see that relationship shines through.
0: Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it is, what, I don't care what your budget is, it's all about collaboration. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it should always be. And if, if there's one cog in the wheel, I'm not just pointing fingers at Actors here, I'm pointing fingers at any sort of department that just doesn't work, everything's going to be rickety and it's going to be hard fucking work for everybody.
1: hmm Yeah.
0: And just don't bring your ego. And I'm not. And again, I'm not just saying that to act star. You know, I've worked with exec producers or certain writers who are bringing their ego, and it's like, Massively. it's not. It's not about you, Dickhead. It's, I- <laughs> it's not about any of us. Let's just yeah. serve the story, and let's all pull in the right direction. Of you
1: can course.
0: Feel the- go on. No, no, no. Go on. I was going to say. Obviously, it's easier said than done. But carry on.
1: Easier said than done, but I was going to say I think you can feel when you walk onto an unhappy set.
0: Oh, yes.
1: You just feel the aura right away when departments aren't communicating well, when they're not feeling respected or supported or... I don't know, you just, you're only as strong as your weakest link, aren't you? So teamwork makes the dream work.
0: Well, but also, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know you're saying it like that, but it's fucking true. It's true,
1: yeah. And,
0: uh, again, it's about collaboration but it's also about trust and communication as long as people feel that they can talk it's like you know mm-hmm. obviously you and um uh is it gabrielle am i saying that yeah. right yeah obviously had a, a fantastic working relationship and the fact that she could come and go ah these words don't actually kind of you know fit mm-hmm. in in my mouth or they just sound and you go all oh, right okay well, we'll just tweak that and we'll test it and she's not saying that from any sort of vanity, uh, you know, some sort of vanity perspective. It's like it's purely about the character and about collaboration.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so what was next after drama school when you realised, yeah, no, the acting route isn't going to be for me?
1: Well, that was a few years. So come out of drama school I'm just working still at the, the box office on Leicester Square and, like, just partying a lot. I think I just went to G.A.Y., every night
0: no, I, I think work hard play play i'm a big advocate for a party and god knows yeah. i'm saying to, and I, I don't really dance a lot but i said to somebody the other day i want, i just really want to go dancing <laughs> it yeah. hasn't been allowed yeah. for so long i'd love to go for a dance
1: are you gonna go
0: i'm gonna try when there's a party yeah definitely yeah. but i'm just i'm just very tired at the moment i'm going to bed at 10 o'clock kaylee i won't lie
1: I start tapping my watch at my girlfriend. Don't want a late night. Come on.
0: Nope, absolutely not. Even on a Saturday, we were were watching a film on Saturday night, and I was really. Have you seen um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire?
1: Oh my God, it's it's stunning. Right.
0: So we're really enjoying it. I mean, it's just like I've been wanting to watch it for ages, and we're 55 minutes from the end, and we're both just dropping, well, let's, let's stop now, let's stop it, otherwise it's going to be ruined. But, yeah, that's...
1: Have you finished it yet?
0: Uh, no, because I'm, I'm in Brighton, so I'm not allowed. Ah. I can't go ahead and carry on watching it, can I? Because otherwise I'm going to be ahead.
1: Without the spoiler, have mm. you seen the bonfire scene?
0: No. Oh,
1: my God. We're about an
0: the... hour, yeah, roughly an hour from the end.
1: You've got the best bit ahead of you.
0: Oh, dog everything's like a fucking painting. It's delicious. It's so, you could pause it at any point and hang it on your wall.
1: Celine Sciamma, she's the so she's the writer director, isn't she? Stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. So gay. Lot of that. Spend quite a few years doing that and growing more and more. Sort of like, I think the little bit of crisis of faith and feeling like maybe I'm not as special as I thought I was before. I had before I went to uni that was getting compounded. The, s- <laughs> the state of you, mate. Like, just, just, just Where I used to work in the box office, like it's a tin can, literally a tin can. So in summer, it'd be like 45 degrees. Nice. Because metal's a conductor, you know. And it was so filthy, it never got cleaned. So like, sometimes I'd look in the mirror and I'd have streaks of dirt on my face like a coal miner. Because oh. you're sweating and you've touched the dirty countertop and then you've touched your face. And then in winter, it was like, you know absolutely Baltic. Your breath, you could see your breath, your fingers were white. There was always, I'd come in and have to clean mouse poo off the keyboard and there'd always be like a little sort of electrical, the plug sockets were always black and charred from where they'd exploded.
0: Oh God.
1: It's just like, what, this is not living. Um, and that, yeah, there was one day in that box office I saw Chris Addison, actor from The Thick of It, uh-huh. posted, this scheme, this BAFTA scheme. Um, It was like, attention, comedy writers, was his tweet. And it was details of this, um, the BAFTA Rockcliffe new writing comedy competition, five days till the deadline. Uh, And Chris had said, I'm going to be on the panel alongside Jennifer Saunders. Rewind to me, kid, no, sat to the screen, watching Jennifer Saunders, always been my idol. And so, uh, as I say, it was five days to the deadline, but this thing in my head was... I'm not going to win, but if I, if I make the final 20, I could say, Jennifer Saunders read my script. So I'll do that. So I called my best mate, Matthew, who Travis in In My Skin is loosely based on. Right. Amalgamation of my three best gay friends. Um, I said, do you want to do this thing with me? I've got this like really loose idea based on my grandmother. And I, it's the old cliche. I literally wrote it on the back of an envelope. So this is the idea. He was like, yeah, come over. So we wrote the script in five days, entered it, and we bloody won. We just, wow. we just bloody won. Um, and it's sort of like, to, to say it, it made my career overnight in one way, in in that it gave me my foot in, in many other ways. I still didn't have any money and couldn't afford to live and whatever. But um, Shane Allen at the time was on the panel alongside Jennifer Saunders he was about to move to BBC One. He said, I need a show like this. I'm going to commission the first two episodes from you. It would be for BBC One 9pm, like prime time slot. Here's a load of money. At that point, more money than I'd seen. think I was going to get like eight grand. Right. Couldn't believe it. No. I was like £8,000. I remember saying to my boss at work, my life just changed and it yeah, was over eight, it was over eight grand yeah but
0: it's it's not even about the financial aspects of it you you know there was a shift it did change yeah. you know something
1: was happening i yeah. could feel it and we back then the trip meant that you got they flew you to new york and you got to go to new york for a week and meet all these people and have your your script performed on stage at this like tv festival i signed with a literary agent a really great agent off the back of it so it just happened overnight and then That show never wound up being made, but I was working as a writer from there on in.
0: And was that it? You know, I'm now a writer. I'm going to work as a writer from now on.
1: (laughs) I did this grand exit from the box office. I sent a like, (laughs) at at all email. (laughs) I'm going to pursue this writing thing. Let's see what life has in store. And that lasted for about just a Eight months when I quickly realised that we would write drafts of the script, hand it in, and the producer would take eight weeks to give us notes. You know, and I'd just be twiddling my thumbs, going to G-A-Y. Very quickly, my eight grand was gone. Yeah. Had to call the box office back up and say, can I come back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tail between your legs.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Went back to the box office. Then eventually Shane turned the TV show down, so that was over. Um, but then luckily, I, I, saw, I made this short film. Because I got so sick of just waiting around and, and nothing happening. So I, I made this short film, which I acted in alongside the actress Sheila Reid.
0: Oh, my God, brilliant. Phenomenal she, woman. How did you get Sheila Reid?
1: Um, my friend, do you know Rachel? You do know Rachel Sheridan. She introduced us.
0: Yes, 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 of course, yeah.
1: So one of my best friends is a casting director. She was like, let me just give this script to Sheila Reid and just see. And Sheila said, yeah, yeah, I'll be in it. So Sheila played my a version of my grandmother in it. We made the short. I made it with an incredible director called Susan Jacobson, again, who I'd met through that BAFTA scheme. So, so it, did, it did make my career. Film did well, but more importantly, it was seen by someone who worked at Casualty. She was like, yeah, I think you could do this. Come and, come and do a couple of episodes of Casualty. So I went there and, and learnt my craft.
0: I was going to say, now, this is a very different... Am I right in saying a very different... Style or approach to yeah. writing, because you're coming in, it, um, forgive my knowledge of this, is is this, you're going into a writer's room of casualty or are you just given the episode to go out, go ahead and write it on your own?
1: It's a bit of both. Right. So you kind of, you get assigned an episode, they do it in blocks of three, so like episodes one, two and three get farmed out to three writers and you get told which episode you're doing but the three of you get brought together for like two and a half weeks or something in Cardiff. And you just help break each other's stories and flesh them out. And you do a little taste of a writer's room and then you go off and and write it yourself. But it's just, I think it's such a good place to start your career. Because before that, I was sort of getting by on maybe a little bit of raw talent and an an ear for dialogue maybe. Mm. And that was it. But I didn't have much else to fall back on. But doing something like Casualty, it's like, it's learning your scales if you want to be a pianist. You know, it's yeah. forcing you to learn structure and know your craft, and also smashes any ego out of you. Which, which,
0: as we've already talked about, is vital.
1: Absolutely vital. You're you're such a cog in a machine, and you get notes from so many different places. And there's no money, there's no time. They've told every story before, so how can you find a new way in? Just it was hard. I cried so much on that job, and I kept being like, I'm not going to survive, I'm not going to survive. But I did, and I came out like rock-hard writer. Yeah, like stronger for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's
0: a little bit like, you know, from an actor's point of view, um, uh, you know, certain people of a certain age will remember The Bill on ITV, mm. which ran for years and years and years, and that was like sort of the television rep for... Actors, you know, everybody, you go through the bill and it's one of your first jobs and you've got no time to sort of think about, you think you're coming on and you're delivering some sort of incredible performance. It's no time. There's three cameras there and you go, go, go. And you just go, what's that do? What's that do? And you're just learning, learning, learning from all these people all the time. And you come out and, you know, you go through it. I remember it was one of my first jobs and I did like three episodes and I was I thought I had a great idea. It's so stupid now. I was playing like a, a, a Coke dealer from South London who spoke patois and he would have his hair in cornrows because he thought <laughs> he was kind of Jamaican. I mean, it was just all sorts of wrong and they let me get away with it and I had this incredible woman come round my house and braid my hair and I looked look wow. like a lunatic for three months walking around Crouch End like that. I
1: well, would yeah, love to see those pictures.
0: Someone's got them somewhere because a friend of mine who's a costume designer did send them me because he... Um, I said, Oh, do you know what'd be really great? Do you have a Nike tick earring? So I re-pierced my ear and got a Nike tick in Ooh. my ear because then were the days that was, you know, that was what Dedication, you,
1: to do. you know, like you've approached that you you've got to pay your dues and go and do the bill, but you've approached it like it's your lead in the godfather.
0: Well, exactly. This is my shot. Yeah, Make I the mean, most of it. Look, I was twenty two, hey You got it. but it's it again, you go through it and it's you're terrified because you're you're going, Oh Oh, was was that okay? Was that okay? And you're getting all mm. these notes from certain people, and you don't really know how to take them or process them because you've never done this before. You don't mm. know you. Or those three years of, of training, you know, you have an hour in a TV room in front of a camera in three years. Nothing prepares you for it, you know. So you are you're learning oh. on the job, just like you did going through, um, you know, through casualty.
1: It's a baptism of fire, isn't it? But like yeah. I remember starting casualty and being a tiny bit snooty. It's a recurring theme for me If for some reason, being dog shit from a council house in Wales, but thinking, having delusions of grandeur. And, like, I remember starting Casualty, and my friend Matt, who I mentioned before, had done a few episodes before me. And I was like, I don't want to do this show. Like, I think I'm going to be a comedy writer. I want to do classy work. I don't want to do this, like, cheesy British kind of soap thing. And Matt just had a word with me and was like, if you have that attitude, it will shine through in your scripts. You need to come onto this job and, wh- how, whatever way you do it, find a way to love it and find a way to treat this like it's the best possible script. You, like, like it's a gift to be allowed to write it. Yeah. And that that was such that was such wise words from him actually, and something I've kept with me because it, people it stinks. Your bad attitude attitude will stink off the page. Mm. Love it, and if you don't love it, let someone else do it.
0: Yeah. Because there's a massive queue. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. There's a
0: huge queue of talent that isn't being nurtured who would jump at the fucking chance of doing that. Yeah, it's exactly. the same it's the same with actors who come on and feel a bit snooty and go, I'm far too good for this. Well then piss Why off. Why are you here? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let somebody else do it. Because I know yeah. I know loads of people who are brilliant who would do this.
1: Exactly. Drives me nuts.
0: Yeah. So just jumping ahead um how do you think you will deal with a larger budget with possibly more cooks because inevitably you can't you can't i mean you could but you mm. you won't carry on making something uh as personal and intimate as what mm-hmm. sort of in my skin has been so i'm just worried you you strike me as somebody who is what would like to retain the control, mm-hmm. which I think is super yeah. important. By the way, I really do. You know,
1: yeah, definitely. Like I'm exact producer on in my skin, and I'm I'm on set every day. I'm in the edit. I mean, I give the director space in the edit, but we sort of you know I'll do a watch once a day or something. Um, So I like to remain present, but it's with the spirit of collaboration. So I I hope the team would say this of me, that it's, you know, I'm always first and foremost, like, what do you think? What do Mm. you want? And just, you know, handling it that way. But I think I've I've just had a little taste of it because I've been on the last series of Killing Eve. So we did a big sort of like, God, huge writer's room that went on for months, and then we've been shooting for months. It's been two years all in all, and so
0: sorry to jump in how how did you find you know because i'm sure writing in my skin not only is it such a personal story but you're on your own no one's telling Mm. this story no one's writing it you're you know you're locking yourself away and you're doing it because it's your story and then you're jumping into a big juggernaut of a worldwide success that's kidding eve and when you say a big writer's room how many are we how many are we talking there
1: well, it started out, it wasn't huge, actually. I suppose big for what I'm used to in the UK. But it was like, I think we had six writers and then a story team of like script three, a story producer and two script editors. So there'd be nine of us there every day. But then you've also got... Three exec producers who you re- report to at the end of the day. So it, it's a lot of opinions. I mean,
0: the thing is, you say it isn't big, but it's certainly bigger than you yeah. in your office or wherever you, you write. And you've yeah. got. And did you have any um, working relationships with any of those writers prior to, to being in the room?
1: No, that was all brand new. I, I hadn't known any of them before, but luckily that room was run by. Uh, an incredible writer called Laura Neal who is going to be like she's she's just going to be massive. I think she's so smart. Again, very collaborative, humble, but just knows herself. Um, so it had had an amazing experience me- meeting all those and working together. But it's it's a completely different beast. There's way more money, so there's way more opinions, and, Wait, you have and
0: to, the stakes are higher.
1: Stakes are higher, and you just have to appreciate you're a cog in a machine. So. It was really good for me to go back into that. And, you know, there are times on in my skin where I just go, no, but that's what I want, so can you just get on board? But on Killing Eve, <laughs> I might pitch a story and I go that in my gut, because i have this one in my skin. I know when I've hit the right story. My gut just goes, that's it, it has to be that. Hmm. But on Killing Eve, I don't just get to go, that's it, it has to be that. They're like, well, explain it, defend it. Someone else thinks it has to be something else, so why should you win? Um, you know, and some of the arguments, you find a way to pitch them that resonates and you win. And other times you don't win. And you have to quietly seethe and go, God, they're wrong. <laughs> w- wonder what it feels like to be so wrong. <laughs> um, and just be humble, you know, and, and, and be a team, team player. So it, it, it was, a, I was really, really pleased I got to do it alongside in my skin because it was the two being a boss. Yeah. And being very much not the boss.
0: And just going, <laughs> I'm just going to adapt. I'll just adapt yeah. in this environment and go with Keeps it.
1: Keeps you humble. And you have to remember, what's my paycheck for? My paycheck on In My Skin is to captain the ship. My paycheck on and Eve is to follow other people's leads and write the script that they want. Different skills, both both important to learn, I think. But, but so, you know, all that said, I, I had a little bit of a taste of of how it can be different. For me going forward, I'm always going to keep learning and evolving and I'm sure mistakes will be made. But the thing I want to keep at the helm that I learnt on in my skin is relationships first. So like no one got hired on this show in key creative roles that I hadn't met, looked in the whites of their eyes and checked that we connected.
0: Yeah, that's so important. So which important. Is, which is why... You know, I I sort of I have talks with like younger actors from time to time, and they're just getting their head around self tapes and thinks that's the way forward. I'm going, I mean, you've got got to go in the room, and Mm. like the the most important thing is to talk to a writer and a director you're possibly going to be working with to see if you're going to get on first. I'm sure you're a brilliant actor, and that's by the by, to be honest. If you get on. Mm. And you can make sure you can collaborate prior to you putting yourself on tape. God, that's that's the most important thing, you know? Can't,
1: you can't replace that connection, I think. It's so important. With Lucy Forbes, who directed Series 1, and Molly Manners, who directed Series 2, both incredible women who are now going to be huge. But before In My Skin, neither of them had any big TV credits, you know? But it was about meeting them. With Lucy, the moment I met her, my gut just tickled. And I was like, it's her. She gets it. Don't care if she hasn't got the experience. I know she can do it because, I don't know, you, you can feel that creative crackle. Yeah. And you can feel when it's not there. Like, you meet someone who's wonderful and perfectly nice, and they've got a good CV, but there was no crackle. Yeah. And it was the same with Molly. You know, I, I knew she could do it, and she's absolutely knocked it out of the park. And so that it, it'll always be that, and the same with the actors. And you know, ugh, God, meeting Joe Hartley for the first time, who
0: oh, she's plays an absolute Trina. force of nature.
1: Force of nature, the most incredible performer. And the moment she came in the room, what I could feel was her passion and how much she loved the show and how much she would like bleed for this show.
0: But also, you could tell and. Look, I know Joe. Joe's a, a, a very old friend of mine. Um, I know how much she got it. You can mm. tell she just got it. There was um, see, we're, we're see, it's all right. We're ending our conversation now, so I can go back to where we started, which is about the show. Um, there was two moments where I thought, "Oh, well, I've, I've, I've cried my tears for this show." Um, and I'm done, and everything's moving positively for, for Bethan, and I'm very happy. Mm. <laughs> and when she puts her mum in the car, and she's going to a, a, a the new the new flat that we hadn't seen yet, and jo, Trina just puts her hand to the window. Well, Niagara Falls again. I was like, I was just completely gone. And prior to that, when she, when um, Bethan says to her mum. How unhappy she is. Yeah. Never a true a word has come out of anybody's mouth. I mean, I didn't question that for a second.
1: That was, sorry, my cat's about to knock my phone off. Oh, can um, I have a look
0: at your cat?
1: Yeah. She's a little, we found her in Greece in September last oh, year. Oh,
0: whereabouts in Greece were you?
1: We were in Athens for three days, only mm. there for three days, and we found this little kitten who'd been left in a car park. So I brought her home.
0: Oh, she's gorgeous.
1: She's a little shit, but I love her. I, I, I admire her zest for life. Um, that that scene on the sofa, this is what I love about In My Skin. Every, every episode, I've only done two drafts of the script. They don't get meddled with. Nerys and my incredible script editor, Andrew Ellard, they give light touch notes. I'll do a second draft. We shoot it. You know, it's quite pure and untouched. But particularly that, that monologue of Joe's, Trina's, on the sofa, I wrote that in one sitting in a co-working space. And it was one of those occasions, I'm, I'm sure you've had this at times as an actor, where when you're performing certain moments of a certain role, where I couldn't honestly tell you that work is happening, because it's, it's moving through me. I'm not consciously writing.
0: I understand, Yeah.
1: Somewhere in my muscle memory or heart or brain, these words have sat and I don't have to do any work. I just have to get out the way. I just wrote it in one sitting, bawling my eyes out in this co-working space. But also what happened a lot on this show is like I would suddenly notice that I was trembling like right. all over and I wouldn't be able to stop and I'd just carry on writing, but I'd be shaking like I could barely touch the keys. And just the realization of like, this is old trauma and you've unlocked it and your body's reacting in the way you felt back then scared, yeah. afraid. Very cathartic to just let it out. But so that monologue, wrote it in one, gave it to Joe straight away. Joe said, Do not touch a word of this. And she started learning it right away. And then, you know, we got on set and that was the most. How the most powerful experience I've ever had on set was watching Joe say those words.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I mean, you know, as an audience member, it and this is a testament to all involved, doesn't sound like a script. Mm. It's absolute truth coming out of a mouth because it's obviously truth from, from you. Yeah. So then it filters down and out. Through, through, and then through Joe's process.
1: Mm. She's she's phenomenal in this. Like in series one, she was phenomenal, but we only saw her in the midst of a breakdown. Yes. In series two, I consciously thought going into series two, I'm going to stretch Joe Hartley's legs. I want the British public to know what this woman can do because she's you know so well loved and she's in so many things. But maybe playing sort of roles that you expect Joe to play. And I was like, she's got more. I'm going to show you what she's got. And so, just gave her. I mean, there, I don't think there's a, an emotion in the spectrum that that Joe's character doesn't go through in series no,
0: two. No, not at all. Not it's at just all. Just mind
1: mind blowing performance, and her and Gabby together, like
0: oh, dynam- it's, it's
1: dynamite.
0: It's explosive and heartbreaking and beautiful. It's it's so many things, mm. and um, you know, you talk with such care and such kindness about the process and. Uh, I'm sure it's not just because it's it's a personal story. I, I've got a feeling you, this is just part of your ethos with work and you'll just take this on with whatever you do. And um and it's a lovely thing. Thank you so much for coming on to speak to me. I'm sorry I've I was I'm sorry I was so gushy at the beginning. It's just I just finished watching it and I'm I'm absolutely made up honestly for all of you. Um I think I mean it's it's not rare, but it doesn't happen as much as it should that, you know, good things happen to good people in this business. And, uh, yeah, this is one of them. So congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's actually it's so exciting to see someone having just seen it all because you don't get that in TV, do you? you don't, no, no. Not like theatre.
0: No. And I'm sure, sure, I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll finish this and then maybe at seven o'clock tonight I'll go, oh my God, I should have spoken to Kayleigh about that. Oh, you'll probably get a, a you know, me witting on an email at some point in a couple of days. But um, honestly, yeah, I really mean it. Congratulations and um, thanks so much for, for taking your time off on a, a quite dreary Tuesday afternoon. Oh
1: God, I, lo- I love the podcast and I'm a huge fan of yours. So thank you for having
0: me. Well, it really means a lot, honestly. Thanks so much. Thank you. another episode is done and how fantastic was that yeah I mean I was very excited at the top Um, but you will be too I really really need you to go and watch the show tweet about it tell your friends about it this is a very as you heard a very intimate low-budget television show um, that was left alone you know the people who wanted to make it They made it and they cared for it and supported it and nurtured it, but they didn't tinker with it. They knew what they had was something extremely special. Um, And obviously I don't want to jinx it, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, this should be uh, winning all the awards when everything comes around for the awards season. um, For writing, direction, direction. Performances, everything, as I said at the start, for me, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's no perfect television. An exceptional television um, that doesn't put a foot wrong is very rare. So get it watched. Tell your friends. You can follow Kaylee on uh, Twitter, Neris Evans, the producers there, Gabrielle Creevy's on social media, Joe Hartley. Tag them in. Tell them that you've watched it. Tell them what you thought of it. Tell me what you thought of it. Honestly, I, I don't recommend things too much, do I? Well, I wholeheartedly recommend this. And I'll be shouting um, from the rooftops about it. So In My Skin, it's on BBC I it in the UK. Um, and if you're outside the UK, then look, I'm sure there's a way, I'm sure there's a way, I don't advocate this, but I'm sure there's a way that um, you could see it, possibly. Um illegally. I mean, I'm sure there is. I'm not saying do it, but you know. Yeah. Anyway, In My Skin, it's on BBC Playing now. Get it watched. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, shall we? Have another episode. Let's do that, okay? Fantastic. Um, in the meantime, you know where we are. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at 2 Pod. If you want to drop us an email, that's always nice. We are 2 shoppod at gmail.com. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I'm off. Have a brilliant week, won't you? Look after yourself. Keep warm if you're going out. And, uh, if you're going out, out, keep your distance. All right. Lots of love until next week. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff and this has been the two shot podcast. You take it easy.